Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. Howdy, my name is Tim Hammerich. I am an agribusiness recruiter and the host of the Future of Agriculture podcast. I have never been so excited and inspired at the end of an interview as I was on this episode. We're 51 episodes in, and after I finished talking to our guest here today, Mr. Stephen Ritz, I leapt out of my chair because I am just so inspired by the work he's doing. Mr. Ritz is not from an ag background. He is from the Bronx in New York, and he stumbled upon agriculture as a way to solve real problems that he saw in his community. Problems such as lack of engagement in school, uh, poor health, uh, poor education, poor opportunities, unequal opportunities for those who are put at a disadvantage. He stumbled upon ag as the solution to these real problems in his community. And it's it's so fantastic to see someone who has gone from zero knowledge of how food is produced and, cons- and distributed to someone who has built an entire system, a whole school program around agriculture. I had never heard of Mr. Ritz until a couple months ago, and ever since I've been able to consume his story, I have just been very, very excited to get him on the podcast. In fact, I'm going to be starting here with this episode, a series on the future of agriculture from an education perspective. How are we developing the next generation of leaders in our industry? And this is a very non-traditional approach to ag education that you'll get here today. And we will run the gamut from very traditional approaches to uh, to something like what Green Bronx Machine and Mr. Ritz are doing uh, in the Bronx. But prepare to be blown away by the work of Green Bronx Machine and Mr. Stephen Ritz. He actually just released a book called The Power of a Plant. Make sure that you go pick it up. And if you're still wondering whether or not you should, just listen a few more minutes and you will be dying for the link, which you will be able to find in our show notes. But without further delay, here is my interview with Mr. Stephen Ritz of Green Bronx Machine in the Bronx, New York. Very excited to have on the show here today, Stephen Ritz, the founder of Green Bronx Machine and the self-proclaimed chief eternal optimist of Bronx County. Stephen, thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm so excited about this. I, I've watched uh, several of your videos online and videos about you, and I think you have such a neat story, and it, it really speaks to the heart of what this show is all about, which is influencing the future of how we produce and, and sell food in the United States and, and around the world. But to get everybody started and provide a little context, you always say that you're not a farmer by trade. Uh, so what all, what got all this started for you? Well, I'm not a farmer by trade, although now I like to say I am a people farmer. What I am is an educator, and I believe that my students are my seeds, and seeds represent God-given genetic potential. And I want all my students and all my teachers and all my colleagues in my community to reach their God-given you know, genetic potential. And just our community is our soil, so to speak. Our schools are our fertile ground for learning, for, you know, learning. And, and that, to me, is what motivates me. So while I'm not a farmer by trade, although now I've kind of figured out a couple of little things, I'm not exactly ignorant. I get the bigger processes. Uh, I'm a people farmer. I grow people. I like to say my name is Steve Ritz. I grow vegetables. My vegetables grow students. They grow schools. They grow community. And they grow resilience. But 
What got all of this started, quite frankly, was simply a mistake. Um, my work um, was rooted in some tragedy. My wife and I lost some children. And then at a school I was working with, I lost some additional children. And I just couldn't bear to walk through those doors. The pain, if you will, was tremendous. And I needed to circle the wagons, if you will, around my own family. So the commute time that I was spending going to school and from school, I figured without that half hour that I could sneak off a commute time each way, was better spent with my family and my loved ones at a critical time of need. So I took a job in the lowest performing high school in New York City at the time. Unbeknownst to me, it was just very close to home. And long made shorts. I got a call to the principal's office. I got a big box. I thought it was this amazing gift. And I opened it up. And and inside this box were these things that were onions. I took a look at this and I was like, man, this is a weapon. I'm not going to give these to children. How could I use this? I don't know what to do with this. And I trekked it back to my classroom, hid it behind a radiator by an open window, um, behind the window, facing the window behind the steam. Um, of this huge wall radiator. About five, six weeks later, um, there's a what was definitely the makings of a huge fight in class. And in slow motion, I see this child going to the radiator. And even in faster motion, I saw my career disappearing because I knew this was going to be the biggest fight that I could never contain. And all of a sudden, this kid reaches under the radiator sticks his hand under and comes out with flowers. And they were flowers. Those onions were actually daffodil bulbs. It was like our proverbial holy crap moment. And uh, this kid who thought he was going to kill someone is literally uh, holding a flower. And the boys all of a sudden wanted to give them to the girls. And the girls wanted to uh, take them and sell them and give them to their parents. We had all sorts of entrepreneurial ideas. And we went and looked at this box that had disintegrated. It was totally wet and was getting some sun, but a lot of heat and a whole lot of moisture. And there was a box full of flowers. And we were like, holy crap. And what, you know, was a 911 moment, so to speak. All of a sudden became this 311 beautiful informational moment. And that to me was a teachable moment. So we looked a little deeper in the box and found out that these things were bulbs and we had been invited to this event to go plant them close to a park because this was when Mayor Bloomberg was talking about, you know, a million trees initiative and every New Yorker needed to be five minutes from park. Uh, and we learned that this donation came from BK bulbs to help commemorate 9-11. So my students and I, we started planting bulbs and, uh, that year, we went on to plant 15,000 bulbs in New York City and started taking over abandoned lots and basically taking, you know, unproductive, dangerous spaces and turning them into productive, aspirational, inspirational places that bred community and understanding. It was right at the cusp, if you will, of the green jobs movement. So a lot of these students that I have, both under overage and undercredited, and many of them with additional baggage, perhaps some criminal background or some substance abuse issues, um, they found their home with me and we were able to move these kids from being a part of, apart from, to a part of in ways that benefited all of society. And we started doing living wage jobs, landscaping, green roofs, green walls, and the kind of job that could never be outsourced, but also paid living wage. Um, so it was transformation and it took 17 children, both underage and overage and undercredited, and shepherded them through to graduation and living wage jobs and some of the first green roofs in New York City, and most importantly, living wage jobs. And to this day, all of them are working and doing amazing. And that was just the beginning. 
And then I learned about vegetables a couple of years later. But that's how it started, all by mistake. You know, I always say, fall up the ladder of success and don't look back. Wow. And, and at Just that, keep climbing. At that time, how, uh, what grade were those kids in? Okay, so it was a mixed class of basically sophomores and juniors. Um, but realize these were overage, undercredited students um, with very delayed academic progress. Um, many of them with criminal backgrounds, and statistically, within six months, many of them wind up back in some kind of supervised situation. Um, the fact that they all went on to graduate and um, have stayed out of problems to this day is, is spectacular. And that was just the beginning. You know, here yes. we are now, a couple of years later, and 2,200 local jobs and growing. Um, we continue to do amazing work. You know, I always say. 50,000 pounds of vegetables later, my favorite crop is organically grown citizens, graduates, members of the middle class, kids who are graduating college. I'm so excited that not only is my own daughter graduating, but so many of my children are actually, I have the first cohort of children graduating college this year who never expected to go to college um, rooted in this Green Bronx machine work. And I'm sure there's been quite an evolution of, of the Green Bronx machine program. Can you describe how the program works today? Sure. So it definitely has evolved. And what has evolved most what started as a program for overage, undercredited um, young adults, um, literally, you know, teenagers who were reading on second and third grade level, basically as workforce development and kind of socialization has as an after school program or job training program has now become a whole school program. And rooted in my simple belief that it is easier to raise healthy children than fix broken men and my concerns about obesity and childhood productivity and all those other things, um, we have a Green Bronx Machine curriculum. So we are a whole school program. I am not interested in putting gardens in schools, although I love to do that. What I'm most interested in doing is wrapping schools around indoor gardens. So the art and science of growing vegetables grows healthy students healthy schools, healthy school performance, and resilient communities. So we are a whole school community. We are not a Band-Aid for a bullet hole. We are not the cooking club or the garden club. We are academic. You know, we are totally the art and science of growing vegetables aligned to Common Core and Next Generation Science Standards are going to grow healthy, high-performing students. And I'm going to be the first teacher in the South Bronx to send a cohort of children from public housing to the Bronx High School of Science because zip code and skin color should not determine outcomes in life. Access to quality education should. But in a community that has limited means and limited access to healthy, fresh food, the ability to grow it in school all year long is totally cool. And guess what we get to do every 30 days? Eat it! So we have full school programming, curriculum, after school, weekend programming, and summer camp. How much of the time is spent in this program in growing food versus more traditional academics? Um, well, the cool thing, honestly, using tower garden technology and some of the technology that we use during the academic year and during school time is that is the food is growing itself. You know, that's the, that's the smoke and mirrors. The kids think they're farming, but no, they're really doing school. You know, we just happen to have a farming class. So we have reading to plant programs, all kinds of data-driven instruction around inputs and outputs that align to common core and content area instruction. Um, that's what it's really about. You know, problem solving, working together, measuring, recording, predicting, um, taking notes, all that stuff. You know, we do seed flashcards. So we teach, you know, basic arithmetic skills by taking seeds and looking at arrays. You know, my flashcards are expon exponential cubes of a you know, rock wall. And I know a, a lot of your students are going on to, to careers not related to food production necessarily, 
what do you think is the connection between growing food and the the academic performance and, and getting them to reach their full potential? Well, I think children need to see it in order to be it. Um, and that, you know, all children need access to caring adults. I mean, all the data proves that the single biggest prognosticator to a child's success is having access to one kind, caring adult. And so my goal is to be that kind, caring adult for as many people and many children, as many colleagues as possible to grow something greater. But the fact, you know, if you expand children's palates, you expand their vocabularies. If you expand their vocabularies, you expand their minds. And, you know, this is a great age at this. You know, I loved high school when I was there. But now really focusing for whatever time I have left on earth, you know, building good habits upon good habits upon good habits is going to be a game changer for these children. If I get them caught up in a head at an earlier age instead of, you know, having to fix them at a later age, um, to me, I'm really doing God's good work here now when it needs to be done. Planting the best seeds possible, you know, harvesting the best possible crop. These are heirloom students. You know, and the, and the fun thing is at elementary school level, you know, students love learning about water, though. The water that comes through their toilets is the same water that, you know, waters their plants and they become environmental stewards. What we're doing is teaching children that they are part of a larger, living, breathing, evolving ecosystem. And that, to me, is important. You know, when we teach our children to nur- about nature, we teach them to nurture. And when we teach children to nurture, we as a society collectively embrace our better nature. So that's what this work is about. And in the Green Bronx Machine program, what what uh, what is the age window that you allow into the program? Well, so we are, well, the work that we do here at the National Health, Wellness, and Learning Center is rooted in pre-K to grade five. But we touch high school students, you know, we touch senior citizens. I'm looking at writing some college curriculum. So I like to say... We, you know, we love everybody, but the academic work that we do focuses on students in schools with a specific curriculum aligned to Common Core and all content area. That's the critical piece. And, and obviously the the process is more about sort of the journey than the destination. But I, I'm just curious how much of a, of a child's diet can be replaced with food that they grow in school through this program? You'd be amazed how much food, and it's not only how much food can be replaced by what you grow in school, and we grow a lot of food in school, but it's the eating habits. It's the understanding. So, for example, when I tell children not to, you know, not to drink soda, they look at me and they want to stick their middle finger up at me. How can you tell me don't drink soda? It's all I see. It's everywhere. But when children understand the pH of water that actually nourishes their plants and how they're testing pH regularly to see fluctuations to make sure their plants are healthy, and then they taste the pH of soda, they never want to drink soda again. So it's about the collateral learnings that influence all their behaviors. When, you know, you see children, children think chicken comes from, you know, the supermarket and how many nuggets, you know, how many, I don't know. They don't think that a living, breathing chicken is what they're actually eating. You know, where does hamburger come from? Aisle nine. Um, you know, the food choices in communities like mine are appalling. We have, we have people with limited means and more importantly, or even more tragically, limited access to healthy, fresh food. So teaching children what food is changes everything. You know, what's out here is a mess. And I am someone who loathes that. And what I mean by a mess is largely manufactured edible synthetic substances, products that are designed to take the health and wealth of this community and transport it far, far away and leave disease and disease in its place. Um, you know, it's a total extraction economy, and I'm trying to change that. Now, you are that that 
pillar, one caring adult for so many of these children. Can the model that you've created in the Bronx be replicated and spread to other parts of the country and the world? Well, we're succeeding all over the world, and I'm just one guy. I mean, the goal is not about me. It's about we. So we have curriculum that's replicable. We're having tremendous success in St. Louis and many other cities where I'm not a part of. We are succeeding all across Canada. Um, you know, our work is being replicated in Dubai and Colombia, uh, South America. So the notion of moving those who are apart from to becoming a part of is wholly inclusive. And I think now more than ever, we want to see people become inclusive. When you look at some of the challenges facing the world, you know, be it climate change, globalization, limited resources, and obesity and diabetes, you know, we can change that. Let medicine, let food be thy medicine, let thy medicine be thy food. Food is a non-negotiable for everyone. And think about this, my friend, without farmers, we'd all be naked and hungry. So teaching children where their food comes, what what plants are, what their ad value is. I mean, you come to our classroom, it is a beautiful, luxurious place in the largest stretch of public housing in New York City, in the least likely place you'd expect to find it. Here is a gorgeous ecosystem. And I, like I said, I loathe the notion desert and food desert because I don't think this is a food desert. I think it's a food swamp filled with tons of bad choices where children have become nothing more than profit centers and marketing tools for large corporations. And, um, you know, listen, I have 200 pound sixth graders. That's wholly unacceptable. You know, we're seeing the rate of the onset of childhood puberty year after year get lower and lower simply because of what children are eating, the amount of chemicals they're consuming. Um, you know, diabetes is at an all time high. We can change all that. You know, more children here are getting are consumed with dialysis than they are by drive bys. So, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a big industry that we want to disrupt. And a lot of that has to do with food. You know, I liken my children to being Mercedes and Ferraris and Testarossas and Maseratis. And you wouldn't put vinegar or you wouldn't put stale milk or empty, or empty gasoline in their tank. So why should my students have bankrupt nutrition? And to think that, you know, now more than ever in the United States, obesity is the face of hunger. And around the world, the rest are shunted, stunted and denied. Both sides of that horrible coin are equally appalling. I would imagine with, with with your students, you probably introduce them to green vegetables for the first time quite often. Uh, what's that process like of getting them to try it and and, and sort of a, a, adopt their diet to it? If, if they grow it, they eat it. Uh, hmm. We grow a lot of cucumbers here. We make lots of pickles. We have children from all over the world. We have a very international community, a lot of immigrants, which I am thrilled and we embrace wholeheartedly. So a lot of their parents came to this country because there was food issues where they were from. There was no food. There was limited needs or access to it. So a lot of children and their parents just love the fact that we do grow food. And for those who have been here two and three generations and think, you know, that soda and, you know, multicolored neon malt liquor that's stored in ice cream coolers is the way of the future. No, we want to, we want to get that out and redefine things. I had a great experience over um Easter break where I was walking through the park and some of the children were out there playing and they saw me and one of them running up and says, Mr. Ritz, it's so hot. Can you buy me a soda? And one kid turned around to the other and said, Mr. Ritz in a soda? Are you crazy? That's like asking your mama for a cigarette. Ask him for water. Ask him for a banana, but never ask Mr. Ritz for a soda. And I love that mindset. I mean, my little guys here have effectively um, lobbied to have chocolate milk removed from the school, and a lot of their parents didn't want it because the parents felt the only way they would drink their milk is if they had chocolate in it. 
But when the little guys learned that, you know, how much sugar they were consuming, they went down to the principal and they demanded the chocolate milk be removed from the school. And lo and behold, it is. And water consumption is up and veggie consumption is up and protein consumption is up. And, you know, all kinds of great things are happening. So I'm always encouraged by the results that I see when you give children healthy choices and healthy options at a young age and empower them to make them, you know, environmental stewards. I have water police, plant monitors, pH patrol, bug police. Oh, it's awesome. We have worm girls here in the South Bronx. Worm girls? Yeah, I have worm girls. They're awesome. They're probably featured on the Green Bronx Machine Facebook page or website. You know, girls who love worms. I love it. We I didn't I even don't... know worms lived in the Bronx. You know, it's really cool to get to know your neighbors. In one of your in one of your TED talks, you mentioned that you have a a unique way of of getting your class to be quiet. Uh, you know, I well, I you know, I'll tell you this: when I tell kids to be quiet, the plants are having sex. You can hear a pin drop. But, you know, in a community that has traditionally been, you know, besieged with, you know, teenage pregnancy, I'm thrilled to see my young men and women pollinating plants instead of each other and learning what that means. So this is my version of plant parenthood in the South Bronx. I love it. You you, uh, you mentioned earlier that, you know, what you're doing is so much more than just creating a school garden. It's a whole school program. Uh what are the proper channels to get this type of whole school program adopted elsewhere? Is it through the public school system or what's sort of the strategy for, for growing the model that way? Well, my model is I have, I'm focused on two things on a daily day basis, quality of teaching and quality of learning. Those are the most important. And yes, I want my children to eat healthy, but realize this. I understand that schools will be closed if they don't perform. So the most important metrics are first and foremost attendance. And second, and second, test scores. So you need children to be here every day. And if children are excited and want to come to school, they really endeavor to be here, which is awesome. They don't want to miss school when they're sick. They're not like, oh, mommy, I'm sick. I don't want to come to school. They can't wait to be here. And we have just a school full of children that line up outside every day and really don't want to leave after school. So that is awesome. But the next thing is performance. And if you have engaging, you know, data-driven instruction, children are going to succeed. And realize in the school here that I'm at, you know, in our first year, we reduced behavioral incidents and out-of-class time by 50% the first year. And what did that allow? It allowed teachers to teach and students to learn. And it's a system that was is traditionally around carrots and sticks. We started adding a lot more carrots and started avoiding the sticks. Um, and kids wanted that experience of coming in here, cooking in class, you know, growing food, getting on the bicycle power generators, doing amazing, engaging things that they were willing to perform for. In the second year... You know, we saw, what was it, test scores jump by 35% because children were engaged. They wanted to learn. They wanted to perform. They wanted to celebrate their success. And this year, we've had our best New York State quality review ever in the past 20 years in this school building. So by engaging children around wellness, mindfulness, and all kinds of other issues that they can get their hands on and literally sink their teeth into and bring it home to their parents, that's awesome sauce. And in a community where so many parents and so many families are either in transitional housing or in other living scenarios, the ability to teach children to cook and grow food in school and have a meal with parents and bring groceries home is game changing. So it's kind of like the lens to all we do. We are not the cooking program. We're not the garden program. We are a whole school solution. Inspiring. Rooted in health, wellness, mindfulness, and something really cool, growing food. And I'll tell you this, you put a seed in a child's hand and you're promising them that seed is going to become a plant 
And that's awesome sauce. And, you know, here I am, and I tell the children I went to high school with Jesus. I still marvel at the fact that I could put a seed in the ground and 30 days later or 60 days later have this big, huge plant and something yummy, delicious to eat or pickle or cook or share or saute, you know, or bake or broil or grill. That's just awesome. Or most importantly, I can take it and sell it for this amazing thing that no child has an allergy to. Money! <laughs> Have you been approached by any of the the youth ag organizations like 4-H or FFA? Have you had any talks with them about your program? No, I'd love for them to reach out. Connect me, please. You know, literally, I mean, while I am personal, I kind of have my head in the sand, so to speak. You know, I come in here early. I stay here late. I don't get out much. You know, my VCR at home still says 12 o'clock. I still have an AOL account. Um, but I would love to start working with organizations that really want to grow the next generation of farmers because remarkably, we're making farming sexy again. You tell immigrant children to come to this country to go become farmers, it's not kind of why their parents want to send kids to school. It's kind of that background they want to, you know, escape. But you tell them you can grow food beautifully indoors, vertically, um, you know, with 90% less water and 90% less space, and people start getting excited. You start going to farms like Gotham Greens and Uriah's Urban Farms and some of these larger, very successful models that are beautiful places to work and live and breathe without breaking labor and decent human rights and fair living wage for all, that's wholly inspirational. I have children who want to take what they're learning here, go to college and bring it back to Africa. That's awesome. Incredible. So I want to connect. So please, Tim, if you have a connection or a future farmers of America or New York State Ag in the classroom is listening, call me, yo. I got a listed phone number. Or send the children a message on Facebook, Green Bronze Machine on Facebook. They get me in touch. I will definitely do that. I have I have a few contacts for you, so we can make sure we, we facilitate that. Um, th- this episode is going to debut the day after your book is going to be released, uh, The Power of a Plant. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? Oh, thank you for that. I got so excited talking to you. I totally forgot to talk about what the most amazing thing is, the power of a plant. And the power of a plant is not only my story, it's my children's story. It's my odyssey across New York City public education. Um, It's a book on Rodale. It features a growing guide, a teacher's guide, my story, teacher letters, student letters, all kinds. I mean, it has a lot of wisdom. It will make you laugh. It'll make you cry. It'll certainly inspire you. As I like to say, you know, we got 99 problems in the South Bronx for growing vegetables. There's no longer one. Yo, um, it just highlights my odyssey, but really gives people the tools they need to grow something great and make epic happen in their community. And that's my goal. My goal is to just inspire people to do something great and get out there and resonate with that Green Bronx machine. Si se puede spirit. So please get out there, pick up a copy of The Power of a Plant. It's available uh, on all your major books. You know, book retailers, you can get it on the stevenritz.com website. I'm thrilled to tell you that I'm taking all the proceeds and donating it to Green Bronx Machine so I can build more national health, wealth, and learning centers around the country and engage more kids in the art and science of growing food aligned to college and career readiness because that's what this is about. This is a see, say, puede moment for all of us. Um, so please get out there. And um, buy the book, read the book, Power of a Plant, Rodale, share it, talk about it online. I guarantee you this, it comes with a money-back guarantee. Buy the book and don't like it, don't feel inspired, write me and I'll send you the check back. 
Well, I'm going to pick up, uh, well, pre-order, I guess, my copy here today. I, I had high hopes for this interview, but you still just blew my mind. I'm so inspired by the work you're doing and about your story and the stories of your students. So, Mr. Ritz, thank you very, very much for being uh, on the show here. And we're going to provide links to buy the book and to visit the work you're doing online uh, in the show notes of this episode. So thank you again. Thanks so much, Tim. And remember, everybody, we can do this. We are the ones we're waiting for. Make epic happen. Thanks kindly and have a great day. If that does not get you enthusiastically excited about the power of agriculture and what growing food can do for our communities, I don't know what will, but I just loved that interview. I hope you caught some of his subtle humor that I kind of skipped over in my interview because I was just so interested in the content where he talked about uh, meeting your neighbors when referencing the worms or when he talked about uh, plant parenthood. I just... He's such a fascinating guy, and I, I would highly encourage you to pick up his book, The Power of a Plant, which you can find the link to in the show notes or Amazon or anywhere books are sold. Um, definitely interested to see how this concept spreads throughout the world, and thankful to Mr. Ritz for being on the program. Hey, if you haven't uh, left us a rating and review on iTunes, I would much appreciate you taking 30 seconds finding the Future of Agriculture podcast on iTunes, leaving us a rating and review. This helps other people gain awareness to the exciting stories like Mr. Ritz's story that are happening in the industry of agriculture. We'll be back next week with Hope Fleck, and we're going to be talking more about how we inspire, educate, and prepare the next generation of agricultural leaders. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hammerich. Visit aggrad.com, that's A-G-G-R-A-D.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.